So this is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered those things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which, for that which is conceived um, in her is, by, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did so, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Thanks, Andrew. So as Andrew alluded to, uh, so just last week we finished up our core convictions, our identity as a church. Uh, We went through that over the fall, and today we start a two-part Advent series. Um, So first of all, if if Chris Kahn was here, I would say thank you so much, Chris, for uh, preaching for us last week. It's just, it's really nice for me uh, to, in some ways I wish I could do it every single Sunday, but this is my job. But it was really nice just to like sit and be fed by the Word of God. So thank you so much, Chris, for bringing the Word last week, and I know it blessed our church as well. Um, so a couple of housekeeping things before we jump into the text. Uh, so the, the first thing is, um, at some point over the next uh, six weeks, uh, to be determined, but I will disappear off the map mostly because a human baby is about to um, be born uh, from my wife, Kelsey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So just thank you so much for how you supported us in that, and don't know exactly when it will happen, but uh, so just at any, any point when, when Titus comes, I will need to uh, be with Kelsey and him for a couple weeks, and so uh, when that happens, just know, so Jason Connor, who's the lead pastor of Portico, our ascending church, he's going to do the first sermon uh, that I'm gone for, and then one of, our, one of the other men on, on our elder board, Jeff Toomer, he will get to meet tonight uh, at, our, at our member gathering. He'll be doing a sermon, and then also some of the other Portico pastors will fill in as long as it's needed. But just wanted to give you all um, a heads up on that. That's coming down the pipeline. And uh, sorry, Kelsey, I didn't think through how to phrase that very well. Uh, (laughs) And uh, secondly, um, just like kind of a preview of our sermon series coming down the pipeline. So we're doing a two-part Advent series right now. And then next year in 2020, we're going to spend a number of months looking at the life of David. Uh, So I think it would just be really good for our church looking at both the heights and the depths of a man who was called by God, experienced a lot of failure, uh, but also a lot of victory. And so what does it look like to walk with God um, in the highs and lows of life? And also, how does David point us to Jesus in in the New Testament? So you guys can look forward to that uh, next year. So uh, today, uh, we begin our Advent series. And so since we just have two weeks, here's what we're going to do is we're going to look at, we're going to look at what did the first Christmas look like through the lens of Jesus's parents? Uh, hopefully to make it very concrete for you guys and not very abstract or ethereal. And so uh, tonight we're going to look at Christmas through the lens of Joseph when he heard about Jesus coming into the world. Next we will look at Christmas through the lens of Mary uh, when she found out that she was going to give birth to Jesus. And so I hadn't really thought about it until I was looking at the text this week, but when it comes to like the parade of Christmas characters, Joseph gets very little recognition 
right? So like he's, he's there, but we don't really see him. I mean, even think about the songs that we sing. So we sing about, a lot about Mary, you know, what did you know versus what did you not know? Uh, we sing about the shepherds tending to their flocks at night. We, we sing about the, the kings of Orient. We've, we've even made up a song about a little drummer boy who wasn't there, but, but we sing about him. But I mean, how many songs do we, do we sing about Joseph? Uh, we don't. And, but as we look at this encounter between, with Joseph and the angel, we're actually going to learn some very powerful and impactful things about what Christmas means for us. And so uh, we're going to see two main things in the, in the text tonight about what Christmas is. And so first we're going to see that Christmas is a call to action. And then second, we'll see that Christmas is a gift to hold on to. So first, Christmas is a call to action. And second, Christmas is a gift to hold on to. Okay, so first, Christmas is a, a call to action. So I mentioned that Joseph, you know, he doesn't get much recognition, right? Like even in our own Christmas celebrations and whatnot. But when you look at scripture, um, he's, he's, very, he's, he's a silent character, like literally silent. Do you know how many words Joseph says in the Bible? Zero. Like as an introvert, I've grown to love Joseph. I mean, he's, he's a great character. But what's so cool about Joseph is you see that while he never says anything, uh, with his mouth, his actions speak so loudly. And so what can we learn um, about, like, how do Joseph's actions, when he responds to this news about Jesus being born, how does that impact us, and how does that call us to action? Well, the first thing we see is, um, how does Joseph respond to the news that Mary's pregnant? Like, so first we just see, how does Joseph treat Mary? Because this is crazy. So verse 18 um, now, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So a betrothal in this area, it was like a engagement, but on power-up mode. So it, it was more than what an engagement means today, where they were essentially already legally married. They just hadn't consummated the marriage yet uh, with physical union and intimacy. So it was like a, a more intense engagement. And so imagine how this goes down. So Joseph, he's engaged to Mary. And you know, when you're engaged to somebody, you, what, you, I mean, you trust the person, you, you love the person. And then, I mean, imagine, I don't know, they, they get together at some family gathering or something, and Mary's like, uh, Joseph, I got to talk to you about something. And he's like, okay. So like, they go off into another room, and she goes, I'm pregnant. And, you know, and so they hadn't, they hadn't slept together yet, and so I mean, can, can you imagine the hurt? Can you imagine the confusion? Like, what? I mean, you're, you're reeling. I mean, imagine if this would happen to you, like, during an, an engagement. It's like, Mary, how, you know, with, with who? How could you? But then it gets even better because she goes, oh, no, 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 Joseph, you don't understand. It's through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's like, hmm, right, right, okay. And first, this is fascinating because so a lot of modern people who aren't religious, you know, a common critique you hear is, okay, well, now we live in a, you know, a modern progressive scientific era, and we, we know that miracles don't happen. For example, we know that virgin births don't happen. Sure, people back then believed in virgin births, but we know better. But when you look at Joseph, he found the virgin birth of Mary just as implausible as you or me would find it, right? Like, he... They weren't as educated as us, sure, but he knew how baby-making happened, and he, like, he wasn't about to be fooled. So, so what does he do? He says in verse 19, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce, to divorce her quietly. 
So this is, this is pretty amazing. This, what, this is the first glimpse we get into his character. So given the law of the day, Joseph had two options. First, he could have brought Mary to court publicly and had her shamed and even put to death. And this is what most men in this culture, especially a shaman on our culture, would have opted to do. Or he could have chosen to divorce her, but to do it quietly, to do it privately. And going this route, he wouldn't be able to save face. He wouldn't be able to justify himself. But that's the option that he chooses. So he still wants to hold to the law. But you notice even in his hurt and his confusion, like he still does what's best for Mary. So I mean, it was just like a, a quick little application. It's just like, are you in any type of situation right now where you really want to save face, where you really want to justify yourself, where you really want to talk poorly about somebody else in order to make yourself look better? I mean, just look at Joseph as a wonderful model about how to act justly, but still to do it, to keep the best interests in mind and really love the person who deeply offended him. Okay, so, so he's a man of incredible character, but then see what, see what happens. So an angel shows up in a dream to Joseph, and um, the angel clears the air. And so what does the angel say? He says in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel confirms what Joseph would have heard from Mary. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then how does Joseph respond? Everybody. So verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. This is amazing. So I think Joseph knew a lot less than we may think looking back on this. So like Joseph wakes up and he has a choice. He can either go with what feels right. So in his hurt and his anger, divorce Mary. Or he can choose to believe the words of this angel and even at great inconvenience and great confusion to him, raise this little boy. Like he would have been very confused. Like what, is it, what does it mean that she's, this baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit? Or what does it mean that this baby is going to save his people from their sins? Like he didn't have any conception of what Jesus was going to do on the cross and in the empty tomb. And then it would have been very inconvenient. I mean, Jesus comes into his life and everything becomes very inconvenient for Joseph. You know, so very early on, Joseph has to take his family and flee to Egypt as, as an exile, right? So one, that's inconvenient. And also for his woodworking business, right, to take a couple years away from that. Um, but also, he and Mary would have been forever relegated to second-class citizens in their culture. Okay, so shame and honor culture, like, there's one of two options. So uh, one option is they either slept together before they were married, which was a huge no-no in this culture, or Mary was unfaithful to Joseph, but he still decided to be with her. So either way, and they're not going to believe Joseph when he says, well, no, just, just trust me. Like an angel came to me, spoke to me during a dream. Like she, she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. No, so they were forever essentially second-class citizens in their culture. But what did Joseph say? He said, he, like immediately, he wakes up and obeys. And so here's one of the most subtle yet, yet powerful messages in this text when we see how Joseph responds. It, it's this. It's Never underestimate the power of how God will use your very ordinary obedience to accomplish extraordinary things. Never underestimate how God will use your very ordinary obedience to not go with what feels right, but God, what are you telling me to do? And how an extraordinary God uses your simple faithfulness. How so? 
here's what's crazy. So Joseph takes in Jesus as his child, right? And so he raises this boy. And so was Jesus fully God? Yes, absolutely. But Jesus was also fully human. And so Jesus did have to be taught. Like in Luke 2.52, we read that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Jesus didn't come out of the womb like having scripture memorized and, you know, knowing the history of Israel and so forth. Like Jesus actually had to be taught. He had to be taught the scriptures. He had to be taught, okay, what is caring for the weak and vulnerable look like? He had, he had to be taught the history of Israel. He had to taught, like, what, is, what does it look like to obey God? He was always without sin, but in Hebrews, we're also told Jesus had to learn obedience. And so who was it that taught Jesus these things? It was his parents. Like, Joseph had, had to teach Jesus these things. And we see that, like, I think a lot of people think that, you know, from when Jesus was, like, eight years old on up, everybody just knew who he was, and, like, he was, like, walking around floating, you know, and, like, bright white light was coming out. You know, he, he was very, he looked very ordinary. Like, in the book of Matthew, when Jesus starts his ministry, in Matthew 13, he goes to his hometown to teach, and what do the people say? They're like, isn't this the carpenter's son? How does he know these things? So, like, it, what we can see is that people actually knew more about Joseph in a lot of ways than, than they knew about Jesus. And so, here's, here's the point. Like, think about the impact of Joseph taking on this responsibility and just doing very simple obedience and teaching Jesus and raising Jesus. Like, when Jesus was tired and hungry in the wilderness, battling temptation when, when Satan himself was tempting him, where did Jesus learn the scriptures that he used to fight Satan himself? It would have come from Joseph. Just like patiently teaching Jesus the words of God. Where did Jesus learn how to, how to care for the weak and the vulnerable? We've been watching how Joseph did it. Like there's a lot of evidence that, that points to the fact that Joseph, like he, he cared often for the weak and vulnerable in his community. And also even like Jesus himself was an adopted child. Joseph also had biological children. But Joseph treats everyone equally, all of his kids, even though Jesus wasn't his biological child. Like, Joseph taught Jesus all of these things. And so, what's so amazing is, the saddest part to me as I was reading this text is, Joseph, well, the saddest and the most beautiful, Joseph never got to see the full effects of his simple obedience. Because from what we can tell, Joseph died sometime between when Jesus was the age of 12 and when Jesus entered his earthly ministry at age 30. Like, we never see Joseph after Jesus is age 12. And when Jesus is on the cross, right, it's just Mary who's there. His father isn't anywhere to be found. And so, like, could Joseph have had any idea, like, as he's patiently teaching Jesus how to woodwork and teaching him the scriptures, that Jesus would then use those same Bible verses to battle temptation perfectly on your behalf and my behalf? Would he have had any idea that how he cared for the weak and vulnerable and how he cared for Mary led to how Jesus treated women, right? How Jesus showed compassion to the weak in his community. And like Joseph had no idea that these simple acts of obedience would lead to the, the greatest act, in, the greatest and most sweeping act of redemption that the world has ever seen. When Jesus went to the cross to, cross to die for your sins and my sins, Joseph would never know. He will. 
So never underestimate how God uses your simple faithfulness, just saying yes to him, not what do I feel, to impact people for eternity. You say, well, that's Joseph. Yeah and no. So not too long ago, I was talking with a friend of mine, and uh, she became a Christian after college. And so we went to the same university, and I was just asking her, like, you know, so how did you, you become a Christian? And she said, well, uh, when I was at Virginia Tech, I met this girl named Lauren McCain. And Lauren McCain, was just, she was just this amazing girl. Like, she loved me, showed incredible compassion to me and others around me. Like, with her actions, she was always caring for me. And then Lauren loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. And I didn't want anything to do with it at the time. So I was just like, oh, you know, thanks for telling me about Jesus, but I'm not really interested. And then she said, but you know, about four years later, after I graduated from college, I got presented with another opportunity to follow Jesus. And, and I did. And it was in large part because this girl, Lauren, like, oh, she was the first Christian I saw who really, like, lived out following Jesus and opened up my idea to what a Christian could be and what following Christ would be. So when I heard the gospel news four years later, I was much more open to receiving it. And Lauren played a huge part in that. And I don't know how many of you guys know this, but Lauren McCain, she was one of the, uh, it was going to be hard, um, she was one of the 32 victims of the Virginia, Virginia Tech shooting in, in 2007. And, she, you know, she died in April, her, her freshman year. Me and this girl and then Lauren were all there on the campus together at the same time. And so <laughs> Lauren never got to see that this girl that she loved enough to share Jesus with would one day come to receive Christ just because of her simple act of faithfulness. Like you, you never know how God will use your ordinary obedience. You don't. You, you have no idea how just a, a simple act of willing to speak truthful correction in somebody's life when they don't want to hear it will prevent them from sliding away from Jesus long term. You have no idea by being just regularly present in a discipleship group, in a community group, will help other people persevere to the end. You guys who set up here a few hours before service, who play worship, who help us with sound, who do the kids' ministry, who lead worship, you have no idea how those simple acts of faithfulness help people meet Christ and hang on until the end. You never know. So don't you dare underestimate how an extraordinary God uses your ordinary obedience to impact eternity. Never underestimate it. It's amazing we have a God like this who doesn't ask us to to be amazing, just to obey him in the simple things. And so that's the first thing we see is Christmas is is a call to action, just ordinary faithfulness, not asking, okay, well, how do I feel about this, especially in a culture that lifts up, you know, feelings are supreme. And so, you know, what what does God want me to do? And then trust that God will use it. So don't let Christmas just be this inspirational story, but actual call to decisive action. Okay, but it's not just a call to action, but we also see that Christmas is a gift to hold on to. Christmas is a gift to hold on to. So one of the other things that I love about this account is it's very comforting, actually, to see like how much of a mess the life was of, I mean, Jesus' parents, and like what what a mess their life was when, when the first Christmas happened. Like, think about this situation. So, think about Joseph. So, 
He's living under tyranny, right? So Israel is living under Roman rule, which they were under severe oppression. So we learn just a little bit later that uh, Herod actually goes through and he, he kills all the children under age two. Like imagine if that was happening in this city. Okay, so he doesn't have freedom. He doesn't have the freedom like we have. He's also in extreme poverty. So from other passages we know, uh, Joseph and Mary were very poor. Like when they'd go to make sacrifices in the temple, they would give a sacrifice. The type of sacrifice they gave indicated that they were very poor. It, some, some of you may know this now or you've known what it was like in the past. It always, it always stinks to be poor, but especially around Christmas time, does it not? Like when you see everybody else buying gifts and you, you can't buy gifts for people. Why? Because you, you can't afford it. Like, this is the first Christmas. So he's living under tyranny. He's extremely poor. And then you can imagine, he's like, okay, well, at least, at least I have Mary, who I'm betrothed to. And then he finds out she's pregnant. So now we have perceived infidelity. And it's during, he's, he's under tyranny, he's poor, and he perceives his wife to be unfaithful to him. That's when God comes on the scene and speaks. And what, what does the angel say? So the angel says, Joseph, don't fear to take Mary. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I want you guys to see this because, like, whatever camp you're in during Christmas season, so for some of you, Christmas is not a happy time. Right, so either maybe a loss that you've experienced in the past, or you know you walk around and you see people. At least it seems like they're so happy in restaurants and posting these like amazing like parties and get-togethers they're having on social media, and it just reminds you of either like the relationships you don't have or the experiences you're not having. Christmas is just is not a happy time. Or Christmas is a happy time. You know, it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year for you. And like I'm saying this is, I, I love Christmas. But consider this, like you, you may be here and you may be a Christian and on an exam you may say, yes, I believe in Jesus and I believe that Christmas is about the incarnation. But in your emotions and your actions, like at the heart of what Christmas is, it's really about getting together with friends. It's really about getting together with family members and loved ones. It's really about buying and receiving gifts. And then just kind of throw in some warm religious sentimentality in, into the midst of it to make it kind of magical. And, and that's what Christmas is about. But like, if, if that is what Christmas is about, okay, friends, relationships, presents, good things. But if that's what Christmas is about, then that means what? It means... Christmas is for those who have it pulled together. Christmas is for the wealthy, those, of, those who can afford to buy nice gifts for other people. Christmas is, those, is for those who aren't alone, who have a lot of loved ones that they can share the season with. That's who Christmas is for. But when we see how the first Christmas happened, we see that's not at all what Christmas is about, but it's a gift to hold on to no matter what you're experiencing during a season like this. And so we, we see two, two gifts that Joseph receives here through the angel. So the first thing is verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. We sung that tonight, which means God with us. Okay, so Christmas means that God didn't turn away from the brokenness of the world, but entered into it. Okay, so here's a, here's a little bit what this is like. 
Because this is, God works just exactly the opposite of how you and I tend to operate. So imagine you, you go to apply for a job, and you're there, and you're, you get to the interview, and you're like, okay, so, you know, can you tell me a little bit about this group? And they're like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're not technically autonomous. We're actually a subsidiary, and so a lot of times we have to do, you know, what the company we belong to tells us to do. Um, so we don't always have, you know, free reign to do what we want. And you're like, all right, I guess I can live with that. You know, anything else? And they're like, yeah, we're actually deep in the red right now. Like, our, de- our debt situation is not that great. So at the end of the month, you, we're hoping to, but you probably won't get a paycheck. You know, your feet start, like, turning toward the, toward the exit door. And they're like, oh, and just the relationships here are a mess. Like, their politicking goes on all the time. Everyone hates each other. And you're like, okay, thanks. You know, thanks for your time. See you later. And that's, that's what we do, right? We look at a situation, and if it's broken, we run away. Like, I would, Kelsey and I just took a little three-day trip, and I went on Airbnb. And what? I was looking for houses that were clean, that looked nice, that were in safe neighborhoods. I didn't go looking for a dilapidated home in a, in a neighborhood riddled with crime, because I didn't want to enter into it. But you see what, what Emmanuel means, God with us? It means God looked into the brokenness and darkness of the world and the messiness of your own heart, and he said, Emmanuel. I want to be with you. I want to enter into your life. Emmanuel, God with us. God so condescended to become a human being. You know what this means? It means God is not repulsed by you. God is not surprised by you. God is not fed up with you. And God is not indifferent to your pain. Because he came into the world to shoulder those things for you. To shoulder your sorrows, to shoulder your your grief, to shoulder your loneliness. Like he, he really knows. He really knows what despair feels like. He really knows what darkness feels like. He is God with you. Like this is the God that you pray to. And this is what makes the, the Christian God so unique. He didn't just stay away saying, you earn your way to me. Nobody entered into this world. And it doesn't stop there. <laughs> right? So after, when Jesus was preparing to ascend in John 14, so he's talking with his disciples, he's like, I'm about, I'm, I'm going to leave. And they're like, but Jesus, you know, you've, you've been our teacher, you've been our comforter, now you're telling us you're going to leave. And he says, no, but I'm going to send another comforter, another person just like me. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know him, for he will be with you and in you. Can we, can we just acknowledge that that's absurd? Like he's saying, someone just like me, who's in the very nature of God, the Holy Spirit, is not just going to dwell with you, but when you trust in me, I will indwell you. Which means that God isn't just alongside you, but he's with you in the most intimate sense, which means no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Like, I take so much comfort and stability knowing when I'm here preaching, I'm not alone. Like, God's working through my mistakes. God, God works through when I'm nervous. When I'm, when I'm going through, through things without the week, I'm not alone. And it's the same with you when you are reading God's word in the morning. He's, he's with you, helping you understand the scriptures, helping you change. When you go into the workplace to try to be a witness for Jesus, you're not alone. Like, when you find yourself navigating a, a confusing or a distressing situation, you're not alone. Okay, if you find yourself weeping in your car, 
or in your home or your bed. You're not alone. You're actually not alone because he's Emmanuel, God with you. We, we don't talk about this very much, but I, I hope you'll make a practice to like, have a conscious awareness of God being in you. Like That's how intimate he wants to be with you, helping you, comforting you, guiding you. And so that's the first gift we see. Emmanuel, God with us. But then second, what do we see? We see you should call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So what the angel is saying is Jesus is not just another religious teacher come to teach you how to be good to earn your way to God. He's saying he has come to do what you cannot do. Like, he's come to overcome the world for you. You can't overcome the world yourself. And so I have a few friends who are counselors, and just as I talk with them about, you know, counseling trends, and counseling, I think, is a very good thing, just for the record. But one thing they've noticed is when people come to counseling, like, one of the main trends nowadays is for people to come to a counselor or even just a friend, and the main thing they're looking for is empathy. Like, I just want you to empathize with me. I just want you to sit with me in this. I want you to understand me. Now, that really matters. Like, Jesus is our high priest who, emp- who empathizes with us. We need to empathize with one another. It really matters. But what happens is, is it usually stops there. And counselors say, you know, when I actually try to, like, help the person overcome, they're like, oh, you know, thanks, but no. They don't say it explicitly, but through their actions, they say, I'm just not really interested in actually having you help me solve this. But the message of Christmas is you don't just need a God who empathizes with you and who's with you. You actually need a God who can overcome the world for you and fix things that you cannot fix on your own. Like this is our deepest need, right? Sin, which separates us from God. And one of the hardest things for me to see, and I don't say this to condemn, but just like when I go on social media, I see so many of my friends who, who aren't believers and, you know, they're talking about how they're, they're trying to get, you know, their body looking a certain way through an exercise and nutrition program or they're trying to overcome alcoholism or they're, they're trying to look for a love relationship. And, you know, so they're looking for social support and, like, that's fine. But, it, but the heart of what they're doing is they're trying to save themselves. Like, if I can just exercise and eat this way, if I can just, you know, kick the addiction this way, if I can just find this teaching here, if I can read this, listen to this podcast, then I can save myself. The message of Christmas is you need something not from inside but from the outside to come and do what you cannot do. Because at the heart of all these longings, right, a longing to be whole, longing to have a love relationship, a, 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 a longing to have love without parting, underneath all these longings is, is our longing for God, whether we recognize it or not. And so that's why when Jesus came into the world after he lives a perfect life, in John 16, he looks at his disciples And he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What do you mean by that? Well, just a short period later, he he, he goes to the cross. And on the cross, what does he say? Does he say, Emmanuel, God's with me? No. He said, God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? See, for the first time in Jesus' life, he went to cling to his father, and he found himself utterly and totally alone. Why? So that you can always say, Emmanuel, God is with me. 
because Jesus took that absence of God for you so you can know God now and then be with him in glory. You guys, you have to know this, that Jesus has overcome the world for you because so many of you, you at your heart, you believe that it's like you have to, to walk out this door and pull this thing off. Like you just have to be obedient enough. You have to be unwavering enough. You have to be faithful enough. Now, does Jesus call you to respond to what he's done? Yes, absolutely. But it's ultimately not in your own power and your own strength that you can do it. You cannot overcome Satan's sin and death on your own. Okay, it's Christ who pursues you. It's Christ who loves you. It's through Christ that you can become an adopted daughter, son of God. It's, it's through Christ that you can be resurrected and be with God in glory. Christ alone saves. Christ alone justifies. Christ alone raises from the dead. Why? Because salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is utterly and totally of the Lord. This is why we're called doxology, to just celebrate this and thank God for this every single week. It's not up to you. And so if, if Christmas is about those who aren't alone, if Christmas is about those who are wealthy, if Christmas is, about, is, is for those who have it all put, pulled together, then you and I, we don't have any hope. But if Christmas is for the lonely, if Christmas is for people who have heartache, if, if Christmas is for people who, who don't have it all together, then Christmas is good news. Because it's about Emmanuel. God is with us. God saves And so grab hold of these amazing gifts that God is with you, God saves you, and then just respond to Christmas by doing ordinary acts of of obedience, trusting that an extraordinary God will will work through you. And when sorrow comes, and it will, and when pain comes, and it will, you fix your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, as he promises you, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Praise God for Christmas. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Um, Help us to look at Joseph and just how he acted with simple obedience and taking on a life of inconvenience and not always feeling great to be obedient to you and uh, how you used him in a mighty way. And help us to do that, Lord. Help us to say yes to you even when it doesn't feel right, even when it comes at cost to us. And Lord, for all of us, Lord, whether we feel happy during this season or whether this is a difficult season, help us to, the, to cling to the gifts that's Christmas and that's you, that you are with us and that you have overcome the world for us. Uh, thank you so much. That's what we get to celebrate and look forward to this Advent season. It's in the name of Jesus our resurrected and most high king, we pray.